But I think that does go in partially into that performance because it's about how other people were, will perceive us in our performance of grief. And, and, and for you and I, like partially what uh, the professionalism that we bring to that grief, which is fascinating. From UW Tacoma, this is Pod Defiance. Welcome to Pod Defiance, where we don't lecture, but we do educate. I'm Eric Wilson-Edge. Today on the pod, a conversation about death with UW Tacoma Assistant Teaching Professor Sarah Chavez. Chavez is a professional writer who specializes in poetry. She also researches elegies, eulogies, and obituaries. We'll talk about these forms, including why they're important and why Chavez studies them. We'll also discuss what makes a good elegy, eulogy, or obituary. Finally, Chavez looks into the distant future to the end of her own life and how she wants to be memorialized. Sarah Chavez, welcome to Pod Defiance. It's good to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. So you do research into elegies, eulogies, and obituaries. Um, and, you know, there's any number of topics um, you could look at in the world or study. So I'm curious as to what led you to want to learn more about these forms. Um, why did you decide to go down this path as opposed to a different one? Yeah, that's, um, I think that's a something I ask myself also. Because <laughs> um, originally my, my work started, my initial research started because uh, I have a dual, my PhD is dually in ethnic studies and creative writing. And so I was really interested in the performance of ethnicity um, and the ways in which sort of like performance theory are things that we kind of live out um, subconsciously um, and, you know, as ways like build community. But as um, I'm going to say as I got older, but that's not even really accurate. Really, since I was young, um, I've just been surrounded by a lot of death. Um, we lost people um, when I was in grade school who were close to the family. We, um, I lived in, in a city in California that had a lot of gang violence. So it was constantly like on the news. Um, and I uh, would have like, I just sort of, uh, it was kind of like always there, but when I started grad school, right before I started grad school and moved from California to Indiana, um, my very, very close friend, um, died and it was, and I didn't get to see her. Um, so we had had a falling out actually. And, um, her girlfriend sent me a really, um, like we had, we started talking again and, uh, we were getting, um, you know, there was the potential of meeting up, but my grandfather was dying. And then all of a sudden I get an email from her girlfriend saying that she died, um, uh, right after my grandfather did. And so we didn't actually get a chance to see each other and I didn't know exactly. And she didn't tell me she was sick. Um, I guess she was waiting for me to see that when we met up. Um, so then, you know, a couple months later, I leave for grad school and I'm just totally unmoored. I'm in a different state. Um, I'm around people who are in a totally different class bracket than I was, just felt really um, 
Like, what am I doing? Like, I don't belong here. Um, you know, the last time I, you know, I was kept thinking like, well, when did I used to feel like I belonged somewhere or with someone or, um, you know, and I thought a lot about um, this friend group and this particular friend uh, whose name is Carol. And actually she's this, she's um, a character version of hers in my first chat book, um, All Day Talking. And those are epistle elegies. So they're letters to her, but, or to the character of her and um, from a character poetic version of myself, I guess it, it's not all factual. Um, so I, I, I hesitate to say that, but, um, and so I, a, a teacher, Grace Bauer, who's this wonderful feminist poet had given us the assignment to pick a form and I was being really lazy and I was like, oh, I'm just going to pick the epistle because I can write a letter to somebody and I don't have to count syllables or anything. And <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of school poet I was. Um, <laughs> and so, but then I was like, well, who do I write to? And I just felt so lonely. And so I wrote to Carol these like kind of angry, like, dude, you died. Like what? Um, and, uh, and it was really cathartic. Um, and I realized that I had this, it was like so comfortable to talk to her. And I've always felt like people who have died are still with us. Um, yeah, very, very like Mexican Catholic spiritualism where there's, um, you know, they're like the veil is thin and people are watching over you and this sort of how the, the rhetoric of my family. So that's kind of where it began. And sadly, people just kept dying. And during the pandemic, um, a lot of um, family members died. And so I couldn't not think about it. And it just kept bleeding into my work. And then I became really fascinated by my responsibilities as an adult and the way responsibility colors our grief and colors how we engage with other people's grief. So like some people are allowed to grieve in some ways and then grief is gendered, like the way my dad grieves first and my uncle versus how I grieve um, versus my sister. And so um, it's been, and then versus like the Mexican side of my family versus like the white half of my family, like how are, how funerals look are very different um, and what kinds of um, obituaries are in the paper are really different. And then I ended up writing a lot of obituaries for all of the people who died and um, per performing uh, eulogies at their funerals. So I was doing all of the writing of these things and I just kind of became a little bit obsessed with it. Were you assigned the task of writing the obituary because you were like a creative writer? Like, oh, well, Sarah can write. So Sarah, why don't you take this one? That is exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I am, uh, I am the family member with the most education. I'm the only, um, I'm the one who, who also is like the most verbose probably. Um, and so, yeah, there really was this like, well, you're a professional writer, you do this. Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, this is not the writing I usually do, but also it was a way for me. So it was a lot of pressure. Um, and because I'm trying to be honest, too, that's something else. And like when I think about the performance of grief, like the way um, culture invites us to pretend that people were awesome all the time. And sometimes they weren't awesome. And that doesn't mean that we don't still love them. 
um, and that we aren't missing them. But I also wanted to be, I wanted to be authentic uh, to the relationships that I had and to who, how I knew them and how I saw them engage with others. So it did really be, I ended up crafting them much the way that I craft like creative nonfiction or, or a poem. Um, and my, um, my uncle, my uncle who is still alive, his wife came up to me after one of them and she's like, well, when you, when I die, you're writing my eulogy. <laughs> I was like, sure. You can book me out. <laughs> it better be really far from now, though, because I can't take another loss. So, <laughs> well, it sounds like you got a little bit of a side hustle there. If you wanted to, you know, make an app and put yourself, I will write your uh, obituary. Um, that's that's interesting. That's um, a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get technical here. Um, What's the difference between an elegy, a eulogy, and an obituary? Yeah. So I just recently gave a workshop on the writing of these three things. Um, and so I, because I've also, especially as, you know, writing them uh, for real life deaths. Um, uh, and it's really about audience and length. So an obituary is what goes in like the newspaper. If people read newspapers anymore, I do. I love them. Um, but so like newspapers, magazines, um, sometimes what people are putting on Facebook, although that gets a little, um, that changes a little bit. So the obituaries, it's always factual. It's like, so-and-so um, on the morning of such-and-such, such, like this date died. Sometimes they give you a cause of death. Uh, you get like, so birth and death dates, where they lived, who they're survived by. And then usually um, what, uh, you know, is there a service um, or their connection to the community? So uh, my uncle Richard's obituary, which I did not write, um, his partner or his, um, his significant other wrote, and she um, included, you know, he had very deep ties to the community. So it was a very long obituary, but obituaries are also very expensive. Um, they charge you by the word. Um, so it was another thing is like, as I was writing the obituaries for my grandparents and uh, for all three of my remaining grandparents that passed um, in a relatively short time, um, I was also trying to be mindful of like, how much are we spending on this? Um, which is like, you know, that's kind of a terrible thing to have to think about. Um, but so that's the obituary. Um, so it's very public facing and not as personal. It's like, it has a lot of facts in it. And then the eulogy is often what's performed at the, at a service. So this can be like for my family who are Catholic, um, these were performed at the masses. Um, and, or they're often set at gravesides, uh, but they're at, or a reception, depending on whatever uh, the person's like cultural grief ceremony is, that's where, and so that's more intimate. It's uh, geared toward an audience of people who know that person in a way that's, um, you know, either that was much, it's much more about who they are as a person. So it's less facts, more storytelling, and really like, narrativizing them and uh, offering um, a kind of like a sort of adoration sometimes. Um, 
but that's for a formal ceremony um, with a slightly different audience. And then a eule an elegy is the poetic form. So the elegy uh, traditionally um, had like four stages of mourning um, where you'd be like, I'm really sad, this person's dead. And then you, and then it's a lot about like, this is how awesome this person was. And then acceptance. It's interesting because it originally moved through these like stages of performance of mourning. Um, and like traditionally, it's a, tr a European form. Um, but the modern elegy is really interesting because in the 90s, thereabout, um, these elegies started looking, published elegies started looking very different where people are like, you know what, that person wasn't awesome. Um, and I do miss them, but also... Um, here's more, here's a less like rose colored version of them. And those are the kinds of elegies. So those are for publication. Those are for people who, who might know that person, but might not even get the name of the person. So a lot of elegies might elegize somebody that um, the reader doesn't even know who they are. Um, and it's much more craft focused. So th that's very professional. Um, if it's, if it's a professional writer, but of course anyone can write an elegy for cathartic reasons if they wanted to. Is there a difference, you know, historically between these? Have they changed over time or across cultures? Are they, you know, I'm assuming there's just like no set way. So I, I, I love the question about culturally has it, how is it different? Because that's something that I'm really interested in that I have not done as much research in yet. Like all of when I discuss like obituaries, elegies, and eulogies, um, I'm talking about them very much from a like 20th, 21st century U.S. version. And of course, U.S. is like a huge, you know, that's a huge category that includes thousands of cultures. Um, and I'm using my own personal experiences as jumping off points for research. And so um, it's, so, I mean, things like obituaries, like, like if you can, I Googled this just because I was curious, um, but you can Google templates for obituaries. Um, so because of its factual outfacing nature um, and people who may not even really know someone that well are, are writing them. Um, Cause there used to be like, you could just give the facts to a newspaper and whoever works the like obituary beat, like, just writes these, you know, 15 word obituaries. And then if, if you have the privilege of being able to pay for a little bit more and the family can do it or the friends. Um, but I mean, I would argue that the elegy in particular is very personalized and, and ranges because in terms of its poetic history, it has shifted significantly from being very formalized, having this um, almost like a received form. Um, so like in classes, I talk about received forms um, that are structural versus um, content. So like an elegy, the way we use it now is content focused. It's um, about someone or something that has died versus like a sonnet, which is structural, like this many lines, this many syllables. Um, and so I think eulogies have the biggest fluctuation because it it is so culturally dependent on what um that in 
what that family or what that friend group, um, or if it's a famous person, like there in my, uh, the talk I gave at the museum uh, last month, one of the eulogy, I was just like Googling famous eulogies. And one is like, um, the, the eulogy that Captain Kirk gives for Spock and like, I, I think it's Wrath of Khan. I actually have not seen this movie, but I was told after the talk, like, oh my God, you should totally watch. It's a very moving eulogy. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, great. My dad will be excited. He was a total Trekkie. Um, but so I feel like that's definitely a hole where I want to know a lot more, but yes, they are they are very individualized, but if somebody is looking for um, like a starting point, there is this kind of core starting point where people have a platform to jump off from. Okay. So you have a lot of experience in uh, writing these. Um, so in your mind, mm-hmm. what makes for a good uh, elegy, eulogy, or obituary? So um, I think that specificity and makes for a really good one. Like I appreciate if I'm reading that, if I'm reading somebody else's um, elegy or yeah, well, their elegy or a eulogy um, or even an obituary. So the obituary I want, the ones that are just like birth date, death date, here's where the reception's happening. I'm like, okay, but like, I want you to make me want to go to this person's funeral, which of course, and this is a very Harold and Maude thing to do. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but um, that movie actually was also, I watched it early in high school and was like, oh my God, people go, like, I thought like, oh, that's a thing. Like I could go to a funeral and just like bask in like people's love of someone else which is really what it is um you know people think about it as morbid but it's really about celebrating somebody's life um so but specificity particularly in eulogy I kind of want a narrative I want to I want to be able to feel the relationship that the speaker has had with that person and I kind of want it to feel textured so um there's uh, there's a book called Obit that's written by Victoria Chang. It's a collection of poetry and they're shaped like obituaries, like that long like rectangle of words, um, like in, in newspapers. And one of the things that I love about this collection, and this was something that as I was beginning to think about, this was really formative for me and thinking about how my project would um, kind of potentially be shaped because the obituaries are all um, like the death of lots of things. So the speaker is like, you know, on March 17th, 2005, my frontal lobe died. Um, and then it's, and it's about, you know, and it's, it's this, it's the story of the many deaths that come with death and the many deaths, especially this book in particular is looking at elders, um, and parents and the death of parents. Um, and, they're so textured because they're showing like the speakers like sadness, but also their frustration um, and having helped care for my uh, grandparents as they were ailing. Um, it is like you love them. Well, in my case, I loved them so much, but it got really hard because when people are, um, you know, deep in dementia. And so is I appreciate those eulogies and 
those elegies that aren't just rosy and that don't ignore the complexity of feeling and especially in an elegy because the the eulogy is also for everybody else so the eulogy is like hey everybody who's in this space let's celebrate this person but the elegy gets to be for the speaker and we just invite other people into that experience to have that empathetic or um, that shared compassion for loss yeah, I want to talk about that a little more, um, you know, because I've given eulogies before. Uh, I am also a trained writer, so I, I often get tasked with with mm-hmm. doing it. Um, and I often think about, like, who is this for? I mean, I guess mm-hmm. in some way, you know, it could be for the person who has passed if they want to have a say and, like, be sure you say this and this, yeah. right? You know, like, a, I want people to remember me this way but you know mm-hmm. that person once that person is gone they have no longer any control over what happens next yep. <laughs> you know so is it for the people is it for the family and friends or if you put it in a newspaper you know is it you know anyone can see that so i'm just in your mind who what do we do this for who are these things for yeah it in my mind it's for connecting to, I would say for me, the elegy is about connecting to my own grief. And, but like me having that drive to express it in a way that makes me feel a little, a little less crazy. <laughs> like if I, if I can share it and someone else can either relate or learn, then to me that makes the experience more culture, more community meaningful. So I would say the elegy is definitely for this, for the poet, for the speaker. And then, um, and then we can invite people in who may or may not, you know, they, they'll might like be more interested in the craft and the artistry. And that's what will help them get into the understanding of um, maybe either emotions they've never had or not been able to articulate or, um, or it can really relate, but the eulogy I think is really fascinating because, um, I did think about what would my family, you know, what would the people that I was writing the eulogies want me to say? And then what was I comfortable saying, but also what's going to make my family happy? Cause I knew that I would be looking at a sea of like a lot of extended family, a lot of community members from the city, um, and wanting wanting to have something that's because I, I call it like the paradox of specificity um students often think that when you're writing you have to be really vague so everyone can like hold on to it and I'm like that's the opposite that's like giving people mists like it's there but you just like, can't grab it but if you give something somebody concrete and work in like um emotional ambiguity then or um or you know metaphors that work in multiple ways, then everybody can get a piece of that, that's solid. So when I, especially with, for my, my grandpa Chavez, when he passed, there was um, like a thousand stories, but the story that kept coming back to me was when he taught me how to cut um, cactus paddles for nopales um, to cook with breakfast and how to like take the spines off. And 
I realized that not only was that meaningful to me, but it was really emblematic of a lot of aspects of his personality. And so I was able to, um, to bring in like his neighbor who they helped each other, like cut down trees and do yard work. And, you know, his kids who remember him baking cakes for them and, um, you know, and also like honoring the manual labor that he did for most of his life. So finding some kind of narrative that invites multiple people in. I don't know if you, if you think, if you've ever had this thought, but you know, the few times I've given a eulogy and I'm like, yeah, I nailed that. I like really crushed that. Like mm. it's weird because it's like, it's a big responsibility, yeah. but you're like, I remember sitting, I mean, I cried while I was reading it because yeah, I knew it totally. very well, but I was like, man, everyone laughed when they were supposed to laugh. Yes. Cried when they were supposed to cry. I nailed that. You know, it's about, <laughs> it's like, this is about me right now. <laughs> I don't know if you get the, it's a weird, like, you're celebrating that person's life, but you, by you yourself doing mm-hmm. a good job, it's a weird, like, yeah, a weird situation. I also love that that is part, that's part of, part of the performance part of it too, that I'm really fascinated with. Um, Cause I wanted to do well. And while I was writing these eulogies, I was like, everybody is counting on me. Um, and I'm, I'm supposed to be this like professional writer. So if I do a bad job, then everyone's gonna be like, oh, why do you, someone pays you to write? What? You teach other people. Um, so I also had this like added pressure that like, oh, I have to make this awesome. Like I have to make people, like you said, like they need to laugh and cry and they need to like remember things and like have all the experiences in this like seven minute uh, eulogy or however long it was. Um, and that actually reminds me. So I had, I felt a lot of that pressure and my abuelo, my, my grandpa, he passed first in the line of people and, um, his name, my, the neighbors across the street who they were super close friends for like 40 years. Um, and they're such, they're such sweet people. And, and, you know, no, nobody is like part of academics and nobody really knows what I do. They're like, Oh, like you so say, you kind of teach, I guess. Um, yeah, like, they're like, well, you're not that kind of doctor that's useful to everyone. <laughs> you're like the other kind that was pretty nebulous. And so it was interesting because he came up to me after the eulogy and and he was like, can you like clap to me on the back? And he's like, well, now I get it. I was always like, what does she do? And like, that's what you do. And I was like, well, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, so yeah, it is. It's like, yeah, that performance is like heavy, but also gratifying. Um it's a, it's a, and it's complicated because grief is so complicated. Um, and so is our ego and, you know, and also I don't want my makeup to smear while I'm, you know, reading my eulogy, which, you know, not everybody is concerned with, but yeah, I, I think that does go in partially into that performance because it's about how other people were, will perceive us in our performance of grief and, and, and for you and I, and like partially what uh, the professionalism that we bring to that grief, which is fascinating. That, yeah. You're yeah. No, that you're thinking on it was much. I just know why I felt awkward for like, am I supposed to feel like this right now? Like am I supposed to be like proud of myself, but you know what you're saying makes total sense. Um, so here's a morbid question for you. Okay. Um, you know, 50 years from now you die. 
Um, mm -hmm. Have you thought about um, what you want in these in these docs, like the elegy, eulogy, obituary? Have you, I mean, it's pretty early for you to be like, well, um, but yeah, do, do you have any sense of like how generally you would want someone to go about that? Like, yeah, so, you know, when, when you're in so many funerals, well, for me, I, sh I should say, I'll, from my perspective, having been in so many funerals, I couldn't not think about it. Um, and I also could not think about the work that it gives to the family. So, like, um, for some members of my family, they paid for everything ahead of time. Like, they had a package. It was like, we're getting this casket. We're having it at this church. We're going to have this, like, already my plot picked out. And it still, there were, like, so many moving pieces. It was, like, really difficult. But so much easier than the other funerals that I helped plan, which were super complicated. And we're, like, digging through, like, messy files to find things. And, um and, but one of the things that I thought about was I asked my partner to make a playlist for my grandfather's funeral for the reception because it was going to be a lot of food. It would be, you know, there were like 50 people there. Um, and I wanted it to be celebratory, um, but also culturally specific. And so he's like, well, I don't really know what music your, your grandpa likes. And, and I was like, oh, man, mariachi? Uh, and so I like really was thinking about it and I ended up kind of getting a poem out of it because I was like, wait, what would I play at my funeral? And so I have a series um, of poems um, about a character named Helene. The, the collection is totally titled Half-Breed Helene Navigates the Whole. But so one of those is called Half-Breed Helene um, Ponders Her Funeral Playlist. And it's, and it's all about like, will people know me enough and care enough about me to even put together a playlist? Like the fact that I spent like three days trying to figure out what music my grandpa would like, he wasn't even going to be there, you know, like depending on who you ask, he's not there or he is there and he's judging us. Um, you know, like it's, it depends on who you're, who's, uh, you know, who's uh, spiritual perception you're, you're talking to, but um, so yeah, I thought about my playlist, like if they play music, that's not representative of me at my reception, like I'll be really mad. <laughs> I get better. Like how well do you know? It feels like a, how well did you know me test? Um, so, and, and like the wicked part of me is like, as a ghost, I want to come back and see how well they knew me and like be judging but then the other part of me is like I made the controlling part of me is like I should just give everything to whomever is going to you know outlive me here's the music I like please don't you know you don't have to make everyone eat vegetarian at my reception like get what everybody wants like uh so yeah I have <laughs> I have thought about it but in really superficial like shallow ways like what food and what playlist <laughs> but like you're in the hereafter and somebody plays like, I don't know, Nickelback. Will you know that like these people hate me? They never knew. Yes, me. that's exactly correct. I will be like, somebody is messing with me. Right. This want my ghost to be upset. All Ex people are awful. <laughs> so you're into Halloween. I love it. Have you thought about why you're into Halloween? I mean, besides like the, like the candy aspect, you may not even like candy. Oh, I love candy. Yeah. So what is it about Halloween that, that interests you? Um, 
That that question, I love that question because um, the first time, um, I, this again, like when I when I moved away from California and when I was in grad school, um, one of my colleagues' wives, because uh, we had these big Halloween parties, um, and apparently it was like super weird to her. Like she thought it was very morbid. Um, and she was just like, what happened to you as a child that made you like Halloween this much? And I was like, what do you, <laughs> like, it was so funny to me. It said so much more about her than me. Um, but cause I, so I have thought about this a lot because as an adult with no, you know, who's chosen a childless adulthood, people are like, wow, you're super into this. Like, I'm not doing it for anyone else. I'm definitely doing it for me. Um, and luckily I have a partner who also loves Halloween. Um, I just, I think like the short answer is that it is magical. Um, I love how it connects culturally across multiple um, religions, multiple philosophies. I love the way that it's, if if you're doing my version of it, it's colorful, it's connected. To, it's not Dia de los Muertos, but like the idea of having days where the veil between the living and the dead is thin. Um, and that there can be this like crossover and connection. It feels like things aren't all, aren't lost, lost. Um, and I've all, I've kind I would have to think more about why I've always loved skeletons and skulls. And like, I was like a, you know, like a gothy kid, um, an adult, I guess. Um, but, so it's, I, I think it's, I think it's magical, even though it's the end when things are dying into winter. Um, there's also like this warmth that comes with it. If I think about all of the, like the oranges and the browns and the yellows, like both what's happening in terms of nature and then culturally what's happening. So I feel like I could have given a much more articulate answer, but the short answer is just that I think everything about it is kind of magical. The music you're hearing is by UW Tacoma Associate Teaching Professor Nicole Blair. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. You will find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Pocket Casts.